I read about a, a teenage boy uh, that left his parents a note, and he said, Dear Mom and Dad, it's with a heavy heart that I write this letter. I've decided to elope with my girlfriend, Tammy, and we've decided to avoid a scene with you two. Um, I found that I have a real passion for Tammy. She's lovely, uh, but that's not our only thing, Dad. It's, she's pregnant, and I think together we're going to be very happy. Um, even though you don't care for her because she's a lot older than me, uh, you wouldn't care for her because she's a lot older than me. She already owns a trailer in the woods and a stack of firewood for the whole winter. Uh, she wants to have more children, and now I'm hopeful that my dreams can come true, too. She's taught me uh, that we can make a great deal of money in the drug trade, and so I don't have any concerns at all about our future. Uh, don't worry, Dad. I'm 15 years old now. I know how to take care of myself. Uh, someday, I'm sure we'll be back to visit, and you can get to know your grandchildren, your ever-loving son, Ed. P.S. Don't worry, Dad. None of the above is true. Uh, I'm next door to the, at the neighbor's house. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than my end of the school report card, which is in the center drawer of my desk. I, I love you. So, one of uh, the most famous stories that Jesus told uh, was about a young man who literally kind of lost his mind. Uh, kind of went off the rails and kind of went into a, a period of, of rebellion. And um, after last week, I, I told you that we weren't really going to cover the prodigal son. Uh, I just couldn't resist it. And about half my sermons on the prodigal son. So, uh, but I think it's going to help us to understand the two parables that I want to show you about at the halfway point or, or two-thirds part of, the, of, of my sermon. And the prodigal son is a, is a really interesting story. Uh, because the son goes to the father and he essentially says, uh, Dad, give me my inheritance early. Essentially, you're not dying fast enough. I want the money. Give it to me. Give it to me now. And the father decides to do that. He gives the, his son the money and it says the son goes to a faraway land and he wastes it. He engages in what the Bible calls wild living. And the Bible allows us to kind of fill in, fill in the blanks on that. He engages in wild living and he's partying. He's having a good time. And then a famine strikes the land. And this young man loses all the money that his father gave him. And guess what happens? When he loses his money, he loses his friends. And he has nowhere to go. And he ends up homeless. And he's not sure what to do. And finally, he has this thought that even my father's workers, his hired hands, are living better than I am. So I should go home and I should ask my dad for a job. And so that's essentially what he does. And when he's walking home, uh, he, his father, who's been waiting for him, sees him a long way off. And the father runs to him, which Jewish men in the first century, they didn't run anywhere. It was kind of beneath them. But the father kind of runs to his son, filled with joy, reinstates him as a son, and throws a massive party for him because, here's what he says, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. This is a picture of God. I'm reminded of a story. We did a whole series on the prodigal son a couple years ago now. Um, I loved that series. It's one of my favorite texts in the Bible. If your preacher's allowed to say that, that he has favorite texts, I don't just realize maybe that's wrong, but it's one of my favorite texts in the Bible. And uh, it reminds me of a story that I heard while we were doing that series. It's a story, uh, and it, the story really caught my attention uh, because uh, this young girl was from Traverse City, uh, Michigan, which is where uh, I'm from. I'm not from Traverse City, but I'm from Michigan. And it tells a story of, uh, the, the story goes that she grew up in Traverse City, which is a major kind of cherry industry. And she just went through this real wild and rebellious phase with, with her parents. And one evening they got into a huge fight over tattoos and piercings. 
And Krista finally had enough of it. And in kind of a moment of anger, she said to her parents, I'm done, I'm leaving. And she stormed out the door and she went to the biggest city in Michigan, Detroit. And she went there to live. And as soon as she was there, she, she was homeless. She had nowhere to go. And this guy kind of took, him, took her under his wing and uh, ended up uh, introducing her to prostitution. And for many years, that's kind of how she ended up making her, her living, and uh, she did pretty well, but she got older and older and older, and finally this guy had enough of her and decided to kick her to the curb, and she ended up homeless again. She had no way to make money, living on the streets of Detroit, uh, didn't know what to do, and one night she has a dream about growing up in Traverse City, Michigan, which is really just a beautiful place. And she's remembering uh, the spring days lying underneath the cherry trees. And she's realizing that renting her body out in Detroit is no way for her to live. And so she decides she's gonna go to Canada and get a fresh start, right? Um, This is where Michigan kids go to get a fresh start, Canada, right? (laughs) If you're gonna go north, it's the only place you can hit, all right? So she decides she's gonna go uh, to Canada and get a fresh start. And uh, as she's getting ready to plan and prepare for that, she has this crazy thought. Because she has a layover in Traverse City, just a short layover there. And she decides she's going to call her parents. And she calls her parents. Nobody's home, but she leaves a message. And she says, I just want you to know I'm coming through Traverse City. Um, I'm, I'm going to arrive there at this time. And if you wanted to see me, you, you can show up there. And as soon as she hung up, she thought it was the stupidest thing to do. Because in her mind, and this was her her direct quote, she said, I was sure that my parents were happier now that I was gone, right? And every parent in this room knows that's not true. But that, that was the thought that she had. They were happier now that I'm gone. And so she gets on the bus and she's heading north and she sees these signs that Traverse City is coming, Traverse City's coming. And she's running through all these scenarios of what's gonna happen when she gets to the train station that nobody, or the bus station, that nobody would be there to meet her or that somebody would show up to meet her, but they were just gonna shame her and condemn her. And finally, she arrives in Traverse City and the bus driver says, 15 minutes stop, only 15 minutes and all of her mental rehearsing didn't prepare her for what happened. At midnight, in the small town of Traverse City, Michigan, she walked out and saw dozens of familiar faces. Aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, and they were all wearing party hats. And a huge banner hung on the wall and it said, welcome home, Krista. And her dad broke through the crowd and ran up to her and she started to try to explain herself, but he just wrapped his arms around her, making it clear that the only thing he cared about was that his lost daughter was home. And it would seem to me that this is how God is. It seems to me that's the point of the prodigal son, that this is how our heavenly father is. And it stands, I think, in stark contrast to the ways that we perceive God, that we perceive him as an I told you so God, that one day when we finally get our head on straight, that we return home to him and we're going to come home to a lecture about how we screwed up and how we messed up and how we shouldn't have taken our inheritance early. We shouldn't have engaged in wild living. Or sometimes I think we perceive him as an angry God, that that he's just mad and he's looking for a reason to punish us and hurt us for our wrong choices. But I think a lot of us in this room, we see him the way the prodigal son sees him. We see him as an employer God. That when the prodigal's thinking about going home, he does not envision that he could ever be a son again. He just hopes that maybe he can work as one of the hired hands. And he didn't ever comprehend that the father would reinstate him as a son. And I think that's the way a lot of us see God is, I've screwed up, I've messed up. Maybe God will let me work for him. Maybe God will let me be an employee. And here's what I would say to you. The prodigal son understood his sin. Our sin separates us from God. The Bible's clear on this. 
the prodigal son did not understand the grace and love of his father. He didn't understand how much the father loved him, that God in his grace, God in his love, through Jesus, makes a way for our sin to be forgiven. All of it, every bit of it. And he came to not make you an employee. He came to make you a son. He came to make you a daughter. He came to welcome you home. And I can show you this in scripture. Here's how John said it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was not in the world, and, through the, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God born not of natural descent or of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Let me say it again. Jesus didn't come to make you an employee. He came to make you his child. And I hope you understand that. I hope you understand that he came to make you a child. And there are a difference between those two things. An employee is evaluated by what he contributes to the company. Right? And I talk to a lot of people that think God's going to evaluate them in that way. That someday they're going to die and they're going to stand before God. And they're going to be evaluated on what they contributed to God's kingdom. Was I good enough? Did I work hard enough? I did children's ministry for 20 years. That's got to get me something. Right? 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 Have I been good enough? A son or a daughter is that by relationship. Right? There's no earning it. There's no deserving it. You're a son or a daughter by relationship. It's different than an employee. An employee can be fired. Right? An employee can be fired. A son is safe. A daughter is safe and secure in the relationship. So I think a lot of people are walking around with this kind of employee mindset, and they're worried that God's at some point going to be tired of them and just fire them and let them go. An employee is paid for their work. A son or a daughter receives blessing that's connected to family that far exceeds payment, right? So like children contribute. We're working really hard to try to get this into our seven, almost seven-year-old right now. It is not easy, right? That family members contribute, right? So we're trying to have him clear the, the dishes. He helps me wash the car. And I'll be honest with you, about two-thirds of the way in, I'm like, you know, why don't you go inside and get a snack? I'll finish the car, right? You, you know, <laughs> but we're trying to teach him that family members contribute. They do, but they don't contribute as an employee. They contribute as part of a family. It's built into the relationship. So the prodigal thought he was coming home an employee. He came back a son, and that's worth celebrating. It is. That's why uh, throughout uh, Luke 15, there's three parables in Luke 15. We're going to look at the first two in just a minute. But this uh, phrase is repeated twice. It says, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over over one sinner who repents or one sinner who comes back to God. This is the heart of God. It is. This is the heart of God. He is a party throwing God. Right, so if you got kind of angry, that's why we're having a party today after church, right? We're just made in his image. We're partying people. He is a partying God. He, he loves to party and celebrate when his children, when, when his lost ones come home. And I don't think you can really understand the celebratory nature of God. And I don't think we can join him as people in celebration until we really understand the mission of God that we've talked some about today. That God is not passive. He is on a mission to rescue, redeem, and to save his creation. God is on a mission to restore his lost children back to him. And here's why it's so important. This relationship is what you and I were created for. 
We were created to know him. We were created to worship him. We were created to find life in him. That I don't believe life really makes sense until we are reconnected back to God. And this was God's mission, that this relationship with him is the source of our joy, hope, peace, and salvation. It is so important, and it's the mission of God to bring his lost children home. And so it might appear, I think, in the story of the prodigal son, that the father in this story might seem a little passive to you. Right? That it doesn't appear that he goes out looking for his son. Um, that he, when the son returns, he loves his son. He embraces his son. He has a heart for the son. But like I said, he might seem a little passive to you. And here's what I would say to you. He's not passive. He's working a strategy. That he understands that the son is bent on going where the son's going to go. And so the father reluctantly allows him to go to this faraway land, get his belly full, and return home. God understands what we need the most. And I think sometimes God does kind of release us, just like he did with the prodigal son, to release us to pursue what we're going to pursue so that we will come home. And for some of you, this is your story, right? That you were just bent on pursuing a certain thing and you got your belly full of it. You got your life full of it. You're like, this is not what I thought it was. And maybe you're just now on the journey to return home. Let me show you what Romans uh, 1 says about this. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So they just were kind of bent on this. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Me too. Anyone else have this story? I thought I was doing the thing that was going to give me life. It turned out I was a fool. And they exchanged the glory of God, of the immortal God, for images made to look like human uh, beings and birds and animals and reptiles. And don't you like that we're not so primitive now that we don't have idols anymore? Right, that was like primitive stuff. No, of course, we, we do. We still worship created things rather than the creator. And it says, therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served creative things rather than the creator who is forever praised. So don't make this mistake about the father and the prodigal son stories not being on mission. He's on a mission. He loves his son. He's doing the best thing he can do for his son. He's trying to bring his son home. But like I said, this isn't a, a series of three parables. And each of these parables kind of demonstrate for us God's desire to search, rescue, and bring home his children. In the prodigal son story, we kind of see one strategy. But in the other two stories, we're going to see uh, this heart of God even more clearly. This search and rescue mission of God to bring his children home home. So let me, I, we didn't have a reader this morning because I wanted to read these at this point um, in, in, the, in, the, in the sermon. So let me read uh, these two parables to us. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Right? You can kind of imagine it. They're muttering. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So Jesus told them a parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after, after the last sheep until it's, he's found it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. 
I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. These two stories, they show us God's heart for the one. They do. They show us God's heart for the one, the lost sheep, the lost coin. And he uses this phrase kind of lost. And if you're new to church, um, this might, that, that phrasing might seem offensive to you. Like, I didn't know I was lost. And the, all he means by that, when Jesus uses the word lost to describe us, is he means that someone that, that's not currently connected to God, someone that's away from home, someone that's away from the Father, but you see God's heart for the one, the lost one. This is the heart of God. So over uh, Christmas break this last year, uh, we took Sam to the City Museum in St. Louis. And if you've ever been to the City Museum, it is a series of tunnels and stuff that kids can play in. And uh, it's a kid's... It's awesome for kids. They, they love it. Um, for uh, older parents, especially us, it is anxiety-inducing. Because the kids can kind of disappear into this, and I'm a Gen X parent, and this is just what I do. I'm overprotected by nature, right? Um, and it's easy to get lost in there. And Sam went into this one area of the city museum, and Cheryl and I and Lila, you know, she was real young at that time. Um, we were just kind of sitting out there, and Cheryl and I are looking, and he doesn't come out. He doesn't come out. He doesn't come out. Cheryl and I look at each other. I'll go in and find him. I go in. I can't find him anywhere. And I can remember two times in my adult life that I have started to freak out. And this is one of them. I, I was on a full-on freak out about our, our son was lost. And so let me tell you what we didn't say. What we didn't say is, oh, thank God we're just getting ready to adopt Lila. We have an extra. <laughs> that was nicely timed right? We've got an extra kid here, right? Let's just go home. No, we didn't do that at all. We went and got security. And at first I just tried to play it off. Like I wasn't that scared. I'm sure this must happen all, all the time. It's like, yeah, we're looking for a Sam Higgs. He, no, he's wearing this color shirt. And about five minutes later, they produced him. Our son was lost. We got security involved, and uh, of course we did. And, and this is God's heart. He loves the lost sheep, and he loves the 99 equally. We're going to see this in the next story a little bit better, but I want to kind of cover it right now because I, I think it's important that if you have been following Jesus for 40 years, understand this. God loves you more than you can imagine. If you are a prodigal son or daughter, and you're just kind of checking out church for the first time, understand God loves you more than you can imagine. God's love for the 99 and God's love for the one are equal. What is not equal is the effort required by the shepherd to accomplish his mission. And remember what we discussed the mission of God was? The mission of God was to bring all the lost ones home. Right? The, 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 the mission of God is to bring all the, lost one home, all, all the lost ones home. The lost sheep, the lost coins, the lost son. He wants to bring them all home. So love for the 99 and the one are equal. The effort required by the woman, the effort required by the shepherd, that is not equal in order to accomplish the mission. 99 are home, one is lost. So the shepherd understands, I think properly, that the 99 can self-feed in the pasture, they can show some self-sufficiency. They are home. The 99 are home. 
But the one, the one, he goes to extraordinary efforts to bring the one home. He searches for the sheep. When he finds him, he puts him on his shoulders. He carries him all the way home, and then he throws a party. The love is equal. What is not equal is the effort required. And can I say something to you? I wish more churches understood that truth. I do. There are churches all over the United States this morning that are full of the 99 that require everything be about them and their preferences and their likes. And they don't understand that the lost sheep requires more effort and more strategy and more resources because they're lost. Because they're lost. And the shepherd wants them to come home. The woman that lost the coin, she wants to find the lost coin. The, the dad wants to find his lost son. So a church that is going through a music transition or becoming more contemporary or developing ministries that reach out to the community, sometimes what you'll hear from the 99 in some churches is, well, you don't care about us anymore. The 99 can start to feel like the, the shepherds left us in the pasture, that you don't care about us anymore. And the truth of the matter is the shepherd loves you deeply. He does. The shepherd loves you deeply. Hey, but they're lost. They're lost. They're lost. And they're not loved more, but more effort, more money, more resources is required for them because they are lost. This is what I love about the event that we just did the party in the park. The party in the park, we meet over here, they load up a huge truck, they take it to the park across the street, and it costs time, money, resources, volunteer energy. A lot of you just dragged yourself in here this morning because of the effort that you gave yesterday. And we do that to build relationships with our neighbors. We do that to love our community. Don't tell anybody this, please don't. It's actually a strategy. It is, I love a good party. It's actually a strategy. It's a strategy to build relationships and show love so that maybe a few lost sheep or lost coins or lost sons or daughters would come home. So this initial story about the shepherd and the sheep, it is about leaving things behind for the good of the one. It is about leaving things behind for the good of the one. And I think it's worth thinking about, what am I, as a, as part, if you're part of the 99, right? And uh, if you're one of the one, if you're not part of the 99, you can just enjoy why the 99 get their toes stepped on, all right? So you can just sit back and enjoy. This is not for you, right? But I think it's worth thinking about, what am I willing to leave behind for the sake of the one? I'm not pointing to someone over here. I'm pointing outside because <laughs> like, hey, back off, dude. No, no. <laughs> I'm pointing outside, sorry guys. Uh, what am I willing to leave behind for the sake of the one? Am I willing to leave behind my worship preferences? Am I willing to leave behind some of my programs, my comfort level, my dollars? Am I willing to leave those things behind for the good of the one? And I'll tell you what drives this. What drives this is the next parable, I think. Right, and I'm going to be a little bit redundant here, but forgive me. I want to kind of make sure we land the plane all together here. What drives this is the idea of value. Right? The first parable, the parable of the good shepherd leaving behind the 99 for the sake of the one, that goes to strategy. It causes us to think kind of, hey, am I willing to leave some stuff behind for the good of the one? 
Am I willing to do that as a part of the 99? Am I willing to have some of my preferences leave or some of my program? Am I willing to do that for the sake of the one that is lost? This second parable goes to the idea of motivation. It goes to the idea of value. It's a woman who has 10 silver coins and she loses just one of them. And you might be tempted to say, well, you've got nine other coins. What is the big deal? Uh, you have more money than I do, <laughs> right? Losing one silver coin would be a big deal to me too. As a matter of fact, a couple weeks ago, I came back from some time away and I had uh, two paychecks that I needed to deposit, right? Two paychecks. Sometime between Sunday and Tuesday, I lost one of them. Now, they were of equal value. They were. They were, they were made out for the exact same amount of money, but I turned over my office looking for that paycheck, I couldn't find it at my office. I called Cheryl and I said, I think I've left the paycheck at at home. And she searched the house and she couldn't find it either. And then you know where it ended up being? On Sunday, we were leaving church and I said, I'm gonna put this paycheck where I'll never forget where it is. I'm gonna put it in Lila's diaper bag and I'll never forget it's there. And by the time we got home and I slept and, you know, whatever, you know, I went on with my life and I forgot it was there. Those paychecks were equally the same. The urgency, again, you see what I'm doing here, right? The urgency was based not on their value, but on the one that was lost. And so I sometimes will hear pastor friends. I talked to a pastor friend of mine a couple weeks ago, and he had been receiving this criticism from his church. And the criticism was, you care more about people in the community than you do your own people. Right? That was the criticism he received. And I, I gave him, I happened to be working on this sermon a few weeks ago, and I gave him this advice. I said, here's what you say. No, I love you equally. And that's why I have such a sense of urgency for the lost. All right? Stay with me just for a minute. All right? The reason I have such urgency for the lost is because I love them the same as I love you. You're found, but they're still lost. And so that creates urgency. This is how you can have two identical checks for the same amount of money, but one of them creates a sense of urgency in you because you can't find it for the life of you. And so I hit on this a couple weeks ago. This idea of equality that the gospel brings, that I love you the same that I love me, I love you the same that I love, this sense of equality creates urgency. For the lost, let me show you this, all right? So here's Jesus, all right? Good place to go, all right? So one of the teachers of the law came uh, and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given a good answer, he asked him, of all of the commandments, which one is the most important? Well, the most important one answer, Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor, what does it say? As yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So Jesus is advocating here for an equality of love. That we love our neighbor like we love ourselves. We love the 99 like we love the one. It is all equal. Our love is equal. And this creates urgency. See, spiritual pride is a very dangerous thing. 
Because spiritual pride says that because I'm in, because I'm in the 99, I matter more or I should be loved more or I should get my way more. And Jesus said, no, love your neighbor like you love yourself. And urgency is driven when we love this way. When we understand that the gospel makes us equal. I love you like I love me. I love them like I love you. It's all equal. When love is equal that way, it creates urgency. And let me show you why. If I love you like I love me, and I love you like I love them, right? If there's an equality of love and you're lost, right? If somebody in this equation is lost or, or they're away from God or, or they're separated from him, then if there is an equality of love, then that's when urgency takes over. If I truly love my neighbor like I love myself and my neighbor is lost, I don't, ha- I don't have to create urgency. Urgency takes over because of the relationship, because of the way that I love them and the way that I care about them. This is why trying to teach a church that you should really care about people far from God, that you should have an urgency toward them, is the wrong strategy. It is. That's the wrong, to say you should have a sense of urgency is the wrong strategy. What it should be is love your neighbor like you love yourself build relationships with them, get to know them, go to party in the park or the next event that we do and just kind of intermingle and hear stories and get to know them. And when you get to know them, when there is a sense of equality in your heart and mind that I love them like I love me, nobody has to teach you to be urgent. Nobody has to teach you to be urgent when you love them. Urgency will take over on its own. And this is why I am beginning to believe that the gospel teaching on equality is one of the most missed and important teachings of the New Testament. That the gospel makes us equal. So I love you. If you've been here for 50 years, I, I love you just like I love my neighbor. I love you just like I love me. There is an equality of love in the gospel. And when that is there, when we understand that, You don't have to teach urgency. You don't have to teach urgency. It just happens. I will tell you, uh, my wife's uh, mom and dad understood this uh, better than a lot of people I know. And there there are multiple occasions that I knew them, uh, especially when they were still together, that a family member would be be dying uh, in the hospital. And a George and Wilma would go to the hospital and share the gospel with their family again and again and again. Why? When you love someone, no, no one has to convince you to be urgent. When you love them, urgency just comes. Celebration also comes when, when that equality of love is there. So if I love you and you're lost and then you're found, no one has to encourage me to celebrate, right? That the love is there. The, 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 I, I hope I'm making sense. I feel like I'm rambling, but, but you, you get what I'm saying. That that equality of love, no one has to teach you to be urgent and no one has to teach you to celebrate. And so what I want to encourage us to do is don't find ways to be urgent. That's not the point of the parable is, you know, the woman's tearing around her house looking for the lost coin. The shepherd kind of leaves and, and goes on this journey to find the lost sheep, the father and the prodigal son. Don't feel like you have to self-create urgency. Here's what I want to encourage us to do. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Love your coworker. Build relationships. Get to know people. 
hear their story, and the urgency will come, and the celebration will come. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Um, And Lord, I know uh, the heart of our church. Um, We want to um, have that sense of urgency. We want to see your lost ones. And I know that phrase might be offensive to some people, um, the idea of being lost, but um, it was your word, so I'm going to use it. Um, But we want to have that sense of urgency to your lost ones, your lost sheep, your lost coins, your lost sons and daughters. Um, So I just want to pray for our relationships, that we would have good and strong relationships, that we would get to know our neighbors, and that we would love them in our community like we love ourselves. That I shouldn't be loved more because I'm in. We're loved the same by you. But the fact that one's home and one's still far away, that should create an urgent sense of urgency in us when the relationship's there. So help us to have relationships that create urgency um, and, and cause us to love and celebrate. Um, to love those that are far and celebrate when they come home. Help us to be this kind of church. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The gospel makes us equal. And so we're getting ready to, to celebrate that equal in our sin, unfortunately. All right? Uh, you all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're equal in our sin, and we're equal in God's love for us. And so as God's people, we want to demonstrate that. We want to have a sense of equality that, man, this is hard, but I love my neighbor like I love my church family, and I, I love that the love is, uh, uh, is equal and that the celebration and the urgency will follow after that. And so we, we celebrate the gospel here every single Sunday that Jesus came and made a way for us to be forgiven, made a way for us to know God in this life and the next. And so we're going to uh, pass out communion here in just a minute. You'll find two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some bread representing Jesus' body that he gave on the cross so we could be forgiven. The other has some juice representing his blood that he gave on the cross so that we could be forgiven. And this is our time to remember and celebrate the gospel and to maybe kind of utter this prayer that I'm going to pray this morning of, God, I want to be like you in this way. I want to love those far from you like I love myself. I want to love my neighbor like I love myself. And I want to love in that way and I want to be a part of your celebration, God, when they come home. Uh, so we're going to pass them out. Hold on to them, and I'll come back up here in just a minute, and we'll, we'll take them together as a church family. Um, we like to do that, to remember that we're in this thing together. All right? God bless.